Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Vartha Weekly. Thank you for joining us on this premiere. I have Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul with me here today to take you through the news and events of the week that was. We have plenty to talk about. Of course, I mean, we'll be bringing you updates on the situation in Afghanistan. It seems to be deteriorating. We also have updates on COVID, both the vaccination and also the new cases that seem to be spiking in certain parts of the country. We'll take you through politics in Maharashtra. There seems to be some bit of controversy there as well. We spoke about China last week, the implosion of tech stocks and so on. We're going to give you an update on that as well. Talk about something called adjusting excessive income. Nirav can talk about that in uh, a little more detail. Of course, we will also talk about the new vehicle registration that was launched and the Tokyo Paralympics as well. So we have plenty of ground to cover. So can't wait to get started. All right. uh, As usual, let's talk about the episode that we put out last week. So this was a premium only episode and Vivek Khaitan, who you would have heard on many different podcasts uh, earlier, you know, brought to us fascinating insights, anecdotes, facts and perspectives on Mathura, which is one of the holiest sites for the Hindus. So he recounted the history and significance of the place and also the various battles that have taken place there and what is the status at the moment, right? So fascinating episode. Do check it out and also join Bharatvarta on YouTube for premium access to content like this. With that out of the way, let's get started with our first piece of news for this week. Union Minister Narayan Rane has been arrested after his statement against Maharashtra Chief Minister He stated that he would have given the CM a tight slap for missing count of the years of India's independence. The arrest was made after an order issued by the Nasik SP following an FIR filed against Mr. Rane. Three days after the arrest, he made a statement against the CM again. This time stating, all the secrets have been buried in my heart for 39 years. I will open one after the other. Nirav, this seems to be like a soap opera playing out in public. What do you see happening here? Maharashtra has uh, four political parties and it's going to be a complex dance leading into the BMC election in Feb 2022. So Nara is actually an ex-Shiv Sena chief minister. After that, he's gone to the Congress and now he's moved to BJP. The thing over here is that no one really spoke a lot about Uddhav Thakre's independence speech, Independence Day speech and his blooper over there. And Narayan Rane uh, made the comment about uh, him giving a tight slap in a small rally in Raigad. This would not have blown out of proportion had it not been for the FIR launched against him. And uh, so he's been booked under the IPC section 500 for defamation, 505 for mis- uh, promoting mischief, 153 for uh, remarks likely to cause disharmony and or hatred. Rane has already been released posting a bail of like 15,000 rupees, right? What has happened is I would compare it to like the Streisand effect on the internet. When you try to suppress something, it actually becomes more popular inadvertently. And here, Nara and Rane, who has been politician and strongman in the Konkan region of Maharashtra, is not only made popular all across Maharashtra, but all across the country. And the CM's blooper, which would have gone unnoticed, has actually come to the forefront. I think we'll see more of such barbs going each way. And I think it's just let's take the popcorn and watch the show as it unfolds. Right. Fantastic. Entertaining for sure. Uh, Let's move to some geopolitics now. Earlier this week, two suicide bombers and gunmen attacked the Kabul airport. Uh, The attack killed at least 60 Afghans and 13 US troops. IS offshoot Islamic State Khorasan province were found to be responsible for the attack. The US government responded by launching a drone strike against a planner of the Islamic State attack. The strike took place in Nangarhar province, east of Kabul and bordering Pakistan and was reported to be successful. Abhishek, for more than a couple of weeks now, we've been bringing updates on the Afghanistan situation. It seems to be deteriorating, right? Yes, so this was a tragic attack on near the Kabul airport. 
which has led to the death of many people, right? 13 US Marines and the death toll count is uncertain, but some estimates say as high as 180. So now what has happened is there's a lot of focus on A, who did the attack? B, which is ISIS-K and B, what is their relationship with Taliban? And C, what will be like the reaction of the United States to it? Just to go one by one on each of them briefly, ISIS-K is like a terrorist group operating in Afghanistan, parts of Western Pakistan and other parts of Central Asia, which got formed in 2015. Not very clear as to what are their exact links with the original ISIS group, but they tend to have the similar sort of ideology being talked about as even basically going for a much more hardline stance than even groups like Taliban. They have been conducting numerous terror attacks over the last five, six years, including one very lethal attack this year itself uh, near a girl school in Afghanistan. So now the question is, how does this impact the current Taliban regime change that is ongoing? And the consensus seems to be that Taliban are probably not linked directly to this attack uh, because they would not have wanted this to happen while this transition of government was happening. And it is also reported that ISSA fighters who are primarily coming from Pakistan have been you know, fighting locally with the Taliban fighters for a certain period of time. So these two groups are probably right groups. And finally, in terms of the response, as you said, the US has launched a drone attack in retaliation, taking out one or two mid-level planners of ISIS-K. But we have to wait and see what more retaliation happens. As the deadline for the US complete withdrawal comes close, saying it's expected that by the end of the month, all US uh, will be leaving. And we have to see how many actually people are left behind those that needed to be evacuated. And then and we, we need to see what more leverage and how much uh, command and control the U.S. retains in order to carry out uh, any retaliatory attack because there are reports coming out that there are some more attacks expected in the next few days as this final stage of evacuation and withdrawal continues. Yeah, today I think President Biden has come out with a statement that another attack is unlikely, right? Which means the probability for the inverse has uh, just shot up, right? I mean, in all of our uh, estimates. Keeping with international news, uh, amidst China's tech crackdown, Xi Jinping has emphasized the need for adjusting to quote excessive income. Chinese tech stocks have been undergoing a roller coaster ride of rallies and drops due to market shocks. Uh, the Chinese state-owned media is attempting image control by conning new phrases to explain the clampdowns. Nirav, we spoke about this last week as well. We're seeing social engineering at a remarkable scale, right? So what is really happening here? What the Chinese president uh, in last week's uh, meeting of the Central Finance and Economics Committee, he has emphasized adjusting excessive income and he's used the phrase promotion of common prosperity. Now, this phrase was first used by Chairman Mao and then it has also been used by uh, Xi Jinping in 2017. And so he's re-emphasizing this as China in its policies is moving from focus on growth to focus on redistribution. So if you see that they had been aligning with the world and with global trade since 1978 when then Xiaoping tried to open up, they had the liberalization moment then. And at that time to his critics, he said that doesn't matter if the cat is black or white, as long as it catches mice. So when his critics are saying that, oh, this is leaving the principles of communism, he says, don't worry, let get some people get rich first and let us move ahead. And then in 
2001 when china joined wto that time the phrase was a uh, capitalism with chinese characteristics saying that yes they will be capitalist but in a chinese way they are not going to ape the west completely now they have had 40 years of very rapid growth and it has been very unbalanced so you see some tech companies with a lot of control over data very powerful lot of them have been backed by foreign investors like softbank and investors in the west and this is a problem so what has happened is they are trying to say that there will be common prosperity so they want to redistribute this wealth uh, across the country and a lot of companies have taken the hint so companies such as uh, xiaomi the smartphone maker online retailer pinduoduo uh, food delivery platform meituan tencent holdings all of them have come out with a common prosperity budget where they will be spending money to fund areas in research agriculture clean energy and social development program so i would look at it as a form of the additional taxation at this particular sector uh, china also kind of as like uh, last week even abhishek had mentioned uh, they are focusing on uh, the tech which they like which is probably like uh, areas like ai and 5g companies like huawei and the tech which they don't like which is online gaming or ed tech uh, and those kind of companies so you are seeing some readjustment as i believe like this is a turn which they just taken like a left turn but it is a big super tanker drifting as a foreign investor i would think that this makes a uh, chinese tech sector a little less attractive because of the additional costs imposed on them absolutely and it's going to have effects on you know uh, the money coming into india as well right i mean obviously it's going to be a positive thing for us all right closer home the government has introduced a new vehicle registration series for seamless transfer across states a vehicle with bharat or bh mark will not require a new registration mark when the owner shifts from one state to another this facility will be available on voluntary basis to defense personnel employees of state and central government and state and central psus abhishek uh, this seems like something that was long due right i mean very common sensical in some sense as of now whenever people move across state they get a 12 month window to change their vehicle registration and uh, it's a sort of pretty inconvenient for folks who have jobs which require them to move frequently right between cities so this is a excellent step taken by the government to have a sort of national registration series which can be utilized by as you said defense folks or central government employees or even people who work in the private sector but have job and who work in organization planning multiple states and cities so now the interesting thing to see is a what will be the reaction of the various state governments if at all any because you could say that you are sort of taking away a bit of their taxation powers on the other hand i think it will be a fairly positive it will be received well by the public essentially to the public it's like a convenience being added to them and so my guess is that the pushback if at all will be fairly muted and limited but we'll have to wait and see let's hope that this gets implemented uh, pretty soon yeah i mean it definitely removes friction for sure the coalition of brazil russia india china and south africa or brics as it's known is opposing the eu's carbon border tax the coalition has opposed this proposal which seeks to levy a border tax on import of carbon intensive goods the tax will be enforced from 2026 onwards the anti climate dumping tool would slap additional levies on imported goods that are manufactured in an unsustainable way this is aimed at boosting domestic production and giving offshore industries an incentive to go green nirav what is the consequence of this tax and what What are the countries uh, opposed to? You 
within itself has some form of a carbon tax. But the complaint over there is that if they are importing goods from another country, those firms do not have a carbon tax. And hence, it is a disadvantage to EU companies. Border levy is going to be phased in from 2026. And it is a protectionist measure to protect European companies. In from 2023 to 25, there's going to be a transition phase, which will see importers monitoring and reporting their emissions. Now, India has been one of the first one to oppose it. And now the BRICS country in the BRICS summit, they've all joined India, saying that this is quite regressive because poorer countries are lagging behind in transition to cleaner energy. EU has been on the forefront and hence this is very regressive. So while India is working towards zero emissions, India does want to phase out uh, a lot of the polluting industries and usage of coal. But at the current moment, a lot of India's power is generated by coal and paying such a tax would cripple India's exports. So I think this is definitely like an unfair policy. If you look, the European countries are still emitting per capita a lot more emissions than the poorer countries. So to expect poorer countries to pay up a higher tax kind of uh, is regressive. And that's why, so once you have a forum and here the BRICS forum is a nice place to voice your concerns against uh, unequal policies, uh, probably we will see some sort of uh, uh, this policy being watered down or pushed back further. So I think it's a very good step. This is India taking leadership over here, which is a great thing. Yeah, I'd uh, urge all the listeners to check out the episode we did with uh, Sri Jain Sinha as well, where, you know, we spoke about net zero emissions and uh, uh, you know, uh, Sinaji specifically spoke about how you can grow as well in a very sustainable way, right? I mean, oftentimes we're asked to choose between one or the other. Uh, so yeah, a lot of uh, related insights on that episode. Do do check it out. In other news, uh, while COVID vaccinations have been going on at a tremendous pace, there are also some worrying spikes in part, parts of India. India on Friday administered over 1 crore vaccine doses under the nationwide vaccination drive. This is the highest ever vaccination achieved in a single day since the start of the vaccination. Uh, on the other side of the coin, uh, Kerala reported 13,500 cases per day in July and almost 19,500 daily cases in August. The state accounted for 70% of the new cases on Saturday. Um, Abhishek, what do you see happening? I mean, it's at, at one end, you see like extreme positivity and at the other end, I mean, it, there seems to be no respite at all. So on the vaccine front, uh, pretty good news coming out in terms of vaccine delivery. Our pace has picked up significantly. So while in May we were doing about 19 lakh vaccines uh, per day in June and July, we were about 40 to 43 lakh. For this month, our average is closer to 60 lakhs, right? Around 57, 58 lakhs right now, which is very impressive. And as our vaccine sort of pace has increased, the gap taken the number of days for every 10 crore is like falling right so we we did our first 10 crore vaccines in uh, like 85 days while the it took just 19 days for us to move from say 50 to 60 crores right now i think we are close to 63 crores so i think the basic goal of the government is to vaccinate all adults by the end of the year uh, we look to be closing in on that target i think there will come up a point soon where vaccine i mean the population unvaccinated will be those who are basically hesitant to take but basically we have to move to a point where it at least 
we have no shortage of supply and it's i mean it's finally the la last mile right those last two out of 10 people who will be sort of hesitating to take the vaccine but till then it makes sense for for india to push on really hard on the state level as you said uh, cases kerala is this a distinct outlier right now and uh, so the kerala story has been pretty interesting in how it has played out in terms of the numbers as well as the perception in the media so last year uh, at the start of the pandemic kerala managed to do really well to keep the case count very low much lower than the average and uh, it was sort of very well spoken of in the media uh, in terms of their health minister getting a lot of kudos and a lot of talk of the kerala model it finally took uh, onam 2020 for basically the first spike to happen in kerala which was considerable period of time after when it, the cases had spiked in the rest of the country now this year what has happened is uh, while the second wave the big second wave of april may coincided for both kerala and the rest of the country since then june july august while cases in the rest of the country have plunged uh, kerala cases are not going down to that extent and in fact are pretty close to their peak so like they had a peak in may of around 42 43000 cases and they are now back to around 30000 plus in the last few days so that is quite a substantial number now of course portion of the media is spinning it spinning this also as a virtue saying that they are able to capture cases much better than the rest of the country while the others are doing an undercounting now you can't be right on both counts that you had low cases and that was great last year and you have high cases and that is great this year so they have to decide which one which year their performance is actually good that aside what is true and that cannot be denied is that let's say if you look at a metric like deaths per day that is significantly higher uh, this year for kerala than last year right or even earlier parts of this year so that is something that they cannot deny uh, it is correct that kerala has a pretty decent healthcare system so they have been able to sort of deal with the surge much better than what many other states would have had if the similar sort of volume of cases would have continued they need to get their act together uh, pretty soon because ultimately this trade-off of having large number of cases versus opening up will come up right if the cases start rising rise even more they'll have to think of uh, you know more stringent lockdowns and that is not something anyone wants because ultimately we need to open up the economy needs to get going apparently there's something called a triple lockdown that has been uh, imposed in certain sections of kerala right um, okay moving on uh, you know it's not a particularly good time if you are a cricket fan but then the Tokyo 2021 Paralympics are underway and some Indian athletes are already in the spotlight. Uh, table tennis player Bhavina Patel continued her winning spree at the Tokyo Paralympics and also Indian archer Rakesh Kumar has done really, really well as well. So Nirav, who do we have to watch out for? Yeah, so actually earlier today, Bhavina Patel uh, uh, got the silver medal. She lost in the finals, unfortunately, to Chinese player Inju. Uh, she, uh, Bhavina Patel was the only... Uh, non-Chinese in the semis. Last uh, Rio 2016 Olympics, uh, we had won in like women's short part, uh, men's javelin, and those events are still pending. Today itself, uh, later today, we have archery eliminations. We have the men's high jump finals where we have Nishad Kumar. Uh, we have uh, the men's discus throw in the finals where we have Vinod Kumar. So uh, it's a good continuation from like the Tokyo Olympics where in Paralympics, we 
we see that even differently able athletes are making their mark and it's also very encouraging for everyone to take up sport regardless of their ability i think india has been a sports watching nation and hopefully we transition to becoming a sports playing nation and finally to round things off uh, finance minister nirmala sitaraman ji has launched a national monetization pipeline the plan aims to monetize rupees 6 trillion of brownfield infrastructure assets over a period of 4 years among the projects the government has also identified 26700 kilometers of roads 400 railway stations 90 passenger trains 28600 kilometers of transmission lines bharatnet fiber network and bsnl mtnl towers as well abhishek uh, you know twitter should rejoice right i mean this is something that people have been uh, talking about for years and years what do you think yeah so this is a sort of semi privatization kind of an initiative it's not something which is totally new or unique i mean we've had this model before but probably in ad hoc ways basically the concept is very simple the government as you said has identified a pipeline of assets owned by the government which could could be roads it could be airports etc and then they will basically uh, give it over to a pa- private party for upfront cash that private party will then uh, operate it and make money for a particular period of time let's say 15 years or 25 years and then return back the asset to the government the government using this upfront payment will then invest that in other infrastructure projects so that's a very sort of basic concept behind this the value as you said in dollars is about 80 81 billion over the next 3 and a half years up to 2025 now uh, there are a few things to watch out for uh, and not necess- so one is in terms of implementation so how does the implementation happen whether we are able to actually do it in a in the time frame required right in time we'll have to see how much of the 81 billion actually comes through the other aspects are sort of pretty political so while the opposition charge of selling off the country's asset can be kept aside but uh, there are other political aspects to watch out for so the government frequently faces charges of quote and quote crony capitalism so if it is the same few houses then that is another charge which the opposition will sort of drum up the other interesting aspect is basically how do india's public and consumers perceive this action so now the whole talk is that you know this is about efficient utilization of assets that means the private party will be able to monetize this better now that can happen via two ways right so they are able to utilize it or do things more efficiently uh, but that can all, and give better services let's say to the consumer better experience to the consumer but that can also result in let's say a price rise for the consumer so that political angle is something to be watched out for so for example let's talk about a road right so you are a frequent user of a highway now you may like it that the highway is better maintained you are you are able to easily sort of access it in terms of paying the toll becomes easier and all that so that's something that a consumer will be it will be a plus for the consumer but let's say the private party hikes the toll toll right and you don't think then that it's making sense or the value add is not enough so then and that's something 
which can be like a political cost for the government. So let's see how it works out. I mean, I think once that they have announced it, it obviously means that they have taken the political cost into the equation and still going ahead with it. Uh, but let's hope that this reform goes through a bit more smoother than some of the other recent ones like the labor or the farm reforms. Yeah, but I think in this case, they've also smartly sort of outsourced some of this political stuff to the states itself, right? By creating incentives for them, right? Uh, yeah, so it won't be the sort of wholesale disinvestment uh, that, you know, one saw during the uh, Vajpayee era, era, at least I feel, right? So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a move in the positive direction, I would say, right? Um, all right, so that's a wrap from us here uh, at the Bharatvarta Weekly. Uh, we have a couple of fascinating episodes coming up. We have one focused on EV in India. Uh, of course, electric vehicles are huge. Uh, you, you know, you're seeing a lot of activity in that space. And uh, we're going to talk about innovation and policy, uh, right? Uh, we'll have a good balance of perspectives uh, on this and do check it out. And also recently, uh, Sri Kalyan Singh Ji passed away. And on the back of that, we will also talk about the rise of OBC politics in India and uh, what that means, the evolution and so on. Uh, uh, of course, uh, it will be brought to you by our resident political expert, Rohit Jaraman. Uh, a couple of very interesting episodes coming up. Do watch out uh, uh, for this. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us, everyone. It's been a pleasure bringing you the news and views uh, for this week. And... Uh, until next time, stay safe, take care, and Jai Hind.